All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, over this fall season, we've actually been in this sermon series called The School of Prayer. So do me a favor, high five your neighbor and say welcome to The School of Prayer. Yeah, here we are. Uh, We've actually been examining the life of Jesus and particularly not necessarily when Jesus himself teaches about prayer, because of course, even if you're not a Christian here, maybe you've heard the the term our father or kind of the our father, which is the Lord's prayer, which Jesus actually teaches uh, his disciples how to pray. But instead, we've been looking at stories of Jesus and specifically how he prays. And what do we have to learn from him as he gives these prayers? Now, uh, as he's praying, now some of you might be wondering, we believe as Christians, we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. So he's 100% God, 100% man. Now some of you might be wondering, well, why is he praying? Well, because what we believe, the Christians believe about who God is, we believe in something called the Trinity. The Trinity is basically this doctrine about who God is, that God is one God and yet three persons. And so God the Son is Jesus, and he prays to God the Father. And so each time when he's praying to God the Father, you'll notice that he's praying as a model for us of how we're to pray pray, as well as a reflection of their own relationship of God the Father and God the Son in this mystery that we call the Trinity. If that's confusing to you, I realize it's a mystery to many of us, but yet it's this doctrine, this beautiful doctrine of what we believe about who God is. And so Jesus, as he prays, this prayer that was just read for us by Kathy is actually called the High Priestly Prayer. In fact, can you say that? High Priestly Prayer. Now, if you're not from a religious context, maybe this word priestly might sound somewhat uh, archaic and weird for you. Basically, this is what a priest does. Uh, A priest is someone who would always be offering prayers and sacrifices on behalf of the people towards God. So if you could imagine, a priestly person then is offering this prayer on behalf of people. Now, in general, there were three offices in the Old Testament times or the Old Testament scriptures um, that were well known for the people of Israel. It was the role of prophet, the role of priest, and the role of king. So uh, these roles each had a unique function to them. So the prophet, for instance, was someone where they would hear from God. So they would hear from God, hear these words, take these words, and now tell them to the people. So prophets in the Old Testament scriptures were people then who oftentimes were calling out the people of Israel. They were saying things like, you guys think you're so religious. You have all these festivals and all these ways in which you act so religious, but you ignore the poor. You ignore the plight of the marginalized, and your hearts are far from me, right? So there are these moments then where prophets were well-known for basically criticizing the people. And a lot of, and they were rightful criticisms because they were coming from God to critique the people so that the people of God would actually be reformed into the ways of following God more fully. Now, a priest, though, was somewhat different. A priest would actually go to the people, and then on behalf of the people, offer up their prayers and their sacrifices to God. Uh, Some of you already are like, I like priests better, right? I mean, this was the idea though, right? There were priests that were essentially, if you could imagine the people are here and instead of the prophets who would give these words of condemnation, of reform, priests were people who would just give the people a big hug, right? Um, I mean, and, and that's what's so great about priests. And this is what priests do. They're shepherds, they're kind, they're pastoral, Uh, And there were kings, and the kings would lead. Now, here's what different scholars and theologians have noted about both of all three of these offices. All three of these offices. Jesus is the true and better prophet, priest, and king. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. There are moments when Jesus is actually like a prophet. He's calling out the ways in which our hearts are far from God. But he's also a priest. 
His love, his tenderness, his care is for us. And he's also a king who leads us in the way that we're supposed to be led. Now, uh, many of us as followers of Jesus, what does it mean for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus? What it means essentially is that each one of us then should be shaping and mirroring the life of Jesus and the ways of Jesus in the way that we live. So for some of us, here's the thing, right? Some of us, uh, we are more naturally more prophet-like. Now, some, of, some people who are naturally more prophet-likes are really good at pointing out what's wrong. So if your spouse is a prophet, no, I'm just kidding, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> don't do that. Um, right? Some of us are more prophet-like. And what we need to grow in is being more priestly and more kingly. Some of us are more priestly, so kind. Whenever I meet you or whenever you meet me or whatever, the priest, it's like you just experience this big hug. But a lot of times a priest needs to grow in terms of courage and being able to speak the truth. Uh, And a king basically needs to grow in both, (laughs) being priestly or prophetic or whatever it might look like. But do you see this kind of model is a model for us when we think about the life of Jesus and what we need to grow in. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, as when he offers this high priestly prayer, what he's doing, again, he's on behalf of the people. He's earnestly praying to God. He's interceding on behalf of the people. Now, this is what we call intercessory prayer. Now, check this out. Look at what it says um, in John. Look at what he says when he prays. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Holy Father, protect them. Here he is praying. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. He prays for protection and for unity. Notice, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Do you get the priestly heart of Jesus? He's praying, he's interceding on behalf. But it's not only on behalf of his disciples. Check this out. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, you all, You all today who are sitting here, and if you claim to follow Jesus, he's praying for you. I mean, isn't that extraordinary? That Jesus himself, his priestly heart for you, prayed for you thousands of years, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one. He's praying for unity, that the the texture of our relationship would be one of love and unity so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me uh, to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Do you, do, you, do you catch just a little glimmer of Jesus' heart for you and for me and for his people? In this priestly manner, he, he's doing the high priestly prayer, and it's this form of intercessory prayer. It's praying on behalf of others. Now, if we all are people who claim to follow Jesus, especially in this thing that we call the school of prayer, in each one of our lives, what does it mean for us then to also be the kind of people who intercede on behalf of others? Now, here's the thing. Even if you're not a Christian here, you have probably, when if I were to ask you, hey, what is prayer and who's it for? Most people would probably say intuitively, oh, this is what prayer is for. Prayer is if you believe in God, that I'm gonna pray for other people that God would somehow intervene. 
even if you're not a Christian here, I imagine there's been moments when you've prayed for other people. You've prayed for God to intervene somehow. And yet this is the kind of prayer that intercessory prayer is. It's intuitive to many of us that we would be invited to pray. Now look at what the earliest Christians believed about this, about praying. Check this out, 1 John chapter 5. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Can I hear say hear? That's right, he hears us. We talked about this in the first week of this sermon series, that he actually hears us. And if he hears us, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, we have what we have asked of him. The earliest Christians, they believed that they could come to God and ask him for things. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus would actually teach this. Check this out, Matthew chapter seven. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Can I hear you say ask? ask. That's right, seek. Let me hear you say seek. seek. And you will find, knock. Thank you. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, look at the logic that Jesus uses. When he teaches about the disposition that we're to have, when we come to, to Jesus, or when we come to God in prayer, God the Father, and we pray, we intercede, we ask, we seek, we knock. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. That would be awful. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You see, the earliest Christians, they all believed that God was a God who hears us and he invites us to ask to seek, and to knock. Even if you're not a Christian here, intuitively, we know like, oh yes, I want God to intervene in this person's life. In fact, if I were to ask this question, can you think of someone right now in your life, family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, class, you know, classmates, whatever it might be, if I were to ask this question, do you know anyone who could honestly use some divine intervention right now? Anyone know people? Just a few hands, but I was trying to go for everyone raising hands, but no, that didn't work. <laughs> but the invitation, right? I mean, but the reality is every single one of us, we know people who need prayers, who need God to intervene. And what's so miraculous is that the God of the universe invites us to ask him for things. Uh, this past week, I was actually in a conversation with someone, and that person needed something, and I knew someone that could fill that need. So this person that I knew that could fill that need, I was, I, like, I, first I told the person, I said, I think I know someone who can fill that need. And then I was like, now I'm stuck, right? Like, now I, gotta, now I definitely got to ask that. And he goes, really? Can you ask him? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh. And, and I, I just remember just feeling like so like sheepish. Like, I don't want to ask this person. I want to bother them. I don't like asking for help on behalf of someone else. I don't want to like cash in chips with the person when I, you know, whatever it might be, right? So like there's this moment where there's this indecision in me. But then I remember I was just like, you know what? I told this person I would ask, so I should do that. That's called integrity. So I, I end up asking the person on behalf of this other person. But like, just think about that. The fear I had for asking for something. And I think as most self-sufficient New Yorkers, we're smart. We went to the best colleges. We're like, like, if you look at our LinkedIn profile, it's like really impressive. 
sorry, I don't know, sorry, I don't can't remember right, right? But like there's so many ways in which we become so self-sufficient and we think we have it all under control. We're so bright, we've gone to the best schools, professional jobs. And it's so hard for us sometimes to ask for help. And I know for me, I've internalized that so much that I won't even ask people that I know because I don't want to bother them. And yet the, the miracle and the mystery of these passages and this invitation to pray, of intercessory prayer, is to actually ask him. Say, God, will you show up in this person's life? You know, in, in a few moments, we're actually going to do this practice of praying. But the reality is, if you're anything like me, one of the hardest, the hardest realities of intercessory prayer is realizing sometimes God says no. Anyone ever been there before? You're like, okay, God, you've, you've invited me to pray. You've invited me to ask, to seek, and to knock. And you said that you will come through. And yet there have been times when it hasn't come through the way that I wanted. Has that ever happened to you? Where you've prayed earnestly for someone's healing. And somehow that person ends up getting sicker. Has that ever happened to you where you've prayed earnestly for God's provision when circumstances beyond your control have led you to a place of just desolation and you're just praying for God to come through and he says no. Has that ever happened to you? I know that one of the things that happens to me is I can get so cynical or I can even feel despairing. And last week, Jordan preached on this topic of wrestling with God. And it's one of the most frustrating things about life with God is what happens when God says no. When we pray earnestly, it's not like I'm praying for something evil, right? It's not like I'm praying like, God, please let my son become a billionaire for your glory and your name. You know, it's not like I'm that is a nice prayer though, but it'd be nice if that came true, God. But sometimes the prayers are just these earnest longings that are good things. But what happens when God disappoints? I, uh, this past week has been just a really tough week in many different facets. And um, there have been um, different issues that people have gone through. There people have been grieving. There are people going through difficult life circumstances. And I, in particular, was um, just really overwhelmed by it all. And so in my own prayer journey, I'm like, God, I'm asking you. But honestly, there was also this moment of feeling a little bit cynical. Um, because I, I was just remembering the times when I've prayed and it felt like God did not come through. There's this one season when um, there's this couple that was in a group that I was part of for a year and a half. And um, they just had a newborn baby and... She got diagnosed with leukemia. I remember like our whole group mobilized to pray around her and this family. And we prayed that God would intervene, would heal. Um, I still remember the confusion of, of being at the funeral. And like some of us were praying that God would actually resurrect her from the from the casket, like we're there, we're praying because we're believing, we're hoping, we're praying. What's hard about vulnerably asking 
like the early Christians and like Jesus invites us to is just when God disappoints and when he says no. And we have no idea why. Have you ever been there before? Ever been in a moment when you felt like, God, I don't know if I even want to pray at all anymore. You know what's so fascinating about this passage, right? Because Jesus, he offers this intercessory prayer where he's praying on behalf of the people. But notice, notice actually how this prayer begins. Check this out. John chapter 17. Jesus said this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. Now, this is the beginning of John chapter 17. He says, Father, the hour has come. Now, in the gospel of John, the hour or the time is actually a word that refers to his coming death. So whenever he says the hour has not yet come, and when he says the hour has come, it's basically his pending death. This is what we know about Jesus, that he's going to the cross. And notice what happens as he begins this prayer. The hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now some of you are reading this and you're like, what is Jesus talking about? Notice what's happening. What's happening is Jesus, before he asks for anything, before he intercedes, his prayer before anything is he's reestablishing his relationship with God the Father. He's saying, I want you to be glorified the way that you've glorified me. I want people to know you the way that I know you. In other words, he establishes at the very beginning. Remember I told you that most non-Christians, even intuitively when we come to prayer, they would probably say, yeah, what prayer is, you pray for people in need, and that's intuitive. Now, here's the thing. If that's all that prayer is, if prayer is simply, you're, just this, you're, you're basically just feeding the vending machine God. God, I think I'll have some chili cheese Fritos and maybe some cheddar and sour cream ruffles. Some of you are like, you're really exact there, Drew. I like, I like those flavors, that's why. So like, right, like, if, if, this, if this is all God is, some sort of vending machine God, just press a couple of buttons, and he gives me what I want. And the reality is, many of us, this is how we approach God. And so yes, we can get angry at God for not getting our way, but oftentimes, our posture of prayer is because God is that simply that some sort of impersonal vending machine God that is to beckon at our will. But what Jesus does at the beginning of this prayer is he establishes what? What prayer has always been about. It's always been about connection, relationship, communion. And notice what Jesus actually reveals as he establishes this. He says, the hour has come. Jesus demonstrates that who God is, before we even begin to ask him for things, we establish the goodness, the love, the sacrifice, the commitment as Jesus is about to go to his death. Before anything, he establishes this relationship, this submission, this willingness to establish a relationship before asking for anything. 
And in so doing, we realize that intercessory prayer is not just some vending machine God that, yes, let me just put in a token and give this prayer and God, you better show up. Instead, it's coming to God the Father, recognizing that he is God and that we are not. But more than simply recognizing that he is this God who is powerful, we come to recognize that God is loving. God is for us. He's willing to give his life away for us. And then we are to freely ask him and pray and ask that God would move on behalf of others. It's so easy for me to get cynical and honestly despondent. And yet the invitation is to continue to pray. Now, every single week that we've been in this sermon series, we've ended with some sort of practice where we invite you to pray with us, whether it's through centering prayer, silent prayer, Lectio Visio, which we we practiced. Um, Today, I'd like to invite us to a certain kind of prayer. Um, Henry Nouwen, who's a spiritual writer, and you've probably heard me talk about this before, he actually wrote a book called With Open Hands. With Open Hands, it's a book about prayer. And one of the things that he writes about prayer is that most of us, whenever we pray, we actually pray with clenched fists. So if you can actually do that with me right now, could you just go ahead and clench your fists right now? If you do that, you probably notice Do you feel the strain on your forearms? And I realized, just even in my own life this past week, with all the things swirling, like, and I truly believe that the things that I wanted were all God's will. But my prayers were often with clenched fists. It was almost like, God, you better give this to me. You promised. You said, ask, seek, and knock. And what we do is, It creates strain, and for recovering control freaks like me, anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, just me. Um, This is the posture of my prayers often. It's just these clenched fists. God, you better do this, or, ah, God, this is a good thing. Please let this come through. But notice, why don't you open your hands? Go from clenched fists. Just open your hand. Notice that feeling, the freedom, the lightness of your hands. But notice it's kind of vulnerable too, right? It's like, oh, I'm giving up control. I'm giving up the outcomes. And one of the things that Nowen says is our posture in prayer is that, yes, we are to press into prayer. We're supposed to intercede for those we love and care about. And we do it with confidence like John says, we ask, we seek, we knock, like Jesus invites us to. But we do it with open hands. Praying and believing and hoping that God will intervene, that he will heal, that he will provide, that he will protect, that he will love.